I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Disability is often defined in relation to the law, where we go, what we do or don't do, and how others perceive people with disabilities are, to an extent, legal questions. Access to employment, government and private sector services, education and physical spaces are regulated under the law. The disability community has fought for decades for inclusion and equality before the law. Sometimes, equality has meant treating the person with a disability like everyone else. Other times, it has meant deviating from a standard to account for specific experiences. The legal terrain is constantly shifting, and with it, the embodiment of disability. Today, we discuss disability and the law. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta. My guest today is Joseph Fraser, who has recently been appointed as CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission. In the middle of a global pandemic, when questions of people's human rights and basic dignities are at forefront of everyone's mind, it's a good time to check in with Joseph and find out about his goals, ideas, and ambitions in his new role. Joseph joins us today from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Joseph, welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, a couple of months back, I had your counterpart in Ontario, Ina Chada, who is the commissioner out for the Ontario Human Rights Commission, join us and talk a little bit about what the system in Ontario actually looks like, what the setup is. Can you take us through the structure of the Human Rights Commission in Nova Scotia? What are the different components of the commission? What do or don't you do? The Human Rights Commission in Nova Scotia is an independent public agency that acts at arm's length from government to administer the Human Rights Act. The Human Rights Act gives the commission responsibility for addressing and resolving complaints of discrimination. So we do have a dispute resolution team within the commission that does that work. And the Act also gives us responsibility for advancing human rights through education, Mm -hmm. policy, and research. So we do have a race relations, equity, and inclusion team within the Commission that does that advancement and education-type work. And also internally, we have two other departments, a legal services unit that has a couple of lawyers, and the CEO's office. So essentially, the the Commission's role is to protect and advance the human rights of Nova Scotians. And so you're now the CEO. You've been in the job for about a month. How are you settling in? I'm settling in nicely. I'm uh, learning lots. I've been working around um, human rights, equity, diversity, and inclusion work for some time, and also around administrative tribunals. So A lot of the work is familiar, but it is new for me to be inside a human rights commission. And so I'm I'm learning a a lot. And for those of us who aren't in the know, what exactly do you do as the the CEO for the Human Rights Commission? I mean, we understand commissioners might hear complaints and mediate hearings, but what is your role precisely? 
I have really a dual function. So as the CEO, I do sit as a commissioner for, for the Human Rights Commission. I'm a non-voting commissioner, but I do attend commission meetings and review case files with, with the commissioners and kind of provide that oversight in terms of the discrimination complaint processing function. But I also function as uh, a CEO or leader in, in many other organizations would having strategic oversight and uh, operational oversight of the organization as well. Now, I read that you have a long history of service in the public sector. You've you've worn many hats in your time. How has your previous work experience prepared you for leading the Human Rights Commission in Nova Scotia? Well, I would say that my work experience, my, my professional background has been in two two different areas, like I just alluded to. The first would be as a practitioner of equity, diversity, and inclusion work and, and human rights work. And uh, in that vein, I've, I've been a, a manager of dispute resolution processes in terms of uh, workplace conflict and workplace bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, discrimination, and also been a, a director of respectful workplace and of diversity and inclusion with the provincial government. The other area of, of work that I've spent some time in is administrative law and working in administrative tribunals. So I've had the opportunity to work with what is now uh, a part of our labor board in, in Nova Scotia as an executive officer and also had a similar role as a complaint registrar and appeal commissioner with the Workers' Compensation Appeals Tribunal. So this role with the Human Rights Commission helps me to really bring together those two different areas of work, the human rights, equity, diversity, and inclusion work, but also the administrative decision-making and and tribunal work. So it, it feels like a good fit. Now, admittedly, you've been in the job for about a month, so I don't want to put you on the spot in any way, but I wonder if you've had some thoughts about uh, the interplay between some of the the prior work that you've done and the work that you're going to do now. I know that for so many workplace issues, there is a human rights component. And of course, uh, employment is one of those things that is governed uh, by the human rights framework, uh, at least in Ontario. So how how do you sort of see the interplay? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there are some important interconnections there that don't always get noticed. Mm. There are... I think my experience in the past has been working inside organizations, so working in post-secondary institutions or inside government, and with a with a workplace focus or kind of an employer focus. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of the issues that do come up as interpersonal conflict or workplace bullying. For whatever reason, whether because it's not recognized or maybe because it doesn't feel safe to to say it or because we haven't done the the proper uh, work with the climate, often there are human rights implications in those um, issues, in those uh, disputes that don't get named. And if they don't get named, often they don't get addressed, right? And, And so often there are power imbalances based on the identities of the different people involved that we have to pay really close attention to. And so I I think that bringing a human rights framework to 
dispute resolution, conflict resolution, focusing on on workplace bullying. It's so important to do that because our identities are always with us and Mm. and they always have have an impact on how we interact and, and show up and the way we interrelate with other people. So I think there's a really important intersection there. Mm-hmm. And well, that was your work history. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Admittedly, you bring a lot to the table. But aside from your work history, what is it in your maybe personal life that attracts you to the role of CEO for the Human Rights Commission? How do you I think you might be able to identify with the people who are coming to the commission with complaints, for example? Well, when I was growing up, I had a few people very close to me who had significant disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid noticing how having a disability made life different for those close family members. Mm-hmm. It impacted their access to education and employment and health care and recreation and all, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So many aspects of life that I was able to take for granted. They were there were barriers for, for those family members, really significant barriers. And I just I remember noticing that. As, as a kid. And then when I kind of went out into the workforce and, and started my career, I worked first with adults with disabilities and residential supports. And that exposure, I think, helped to deepen my, my understanding of, of what was happening. I started to recognize exclusion and barriers and stigma and all those things that maybe I didn't quite understand as a kid, but I was noticing and you know, recognizing mm-hmm. that it didn't, didn't seem right. And then a little bit later in life, I went to law school. And uh, the the most important course that I took in law school was human rights law. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a framework for thinking about the types of things that I was noticing and seeing. And it gave me language to talk about these issues. And I also started to draw similarities with my own lived experience as part of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. So I think that combination of my own lived experience and recognition of my own privilege gave me, I I would say, a social justice orientation and just a desire to improve institutions and systems and services so that they work better for, for everyone. And I was fortunate enough through my education and work experience that I've been able to develop a relevant skill set for human rights work. And so now I'm, I'm doing the work that I, I feel is so important and hope, hopefully making a difference. And you know what they say, if you love the work you do, then you don't do a day's work. I want to pick up on that word privilege you used a few minutes back. Uh, It's unusual to hear the word privilege come up in a discussion about human rights. Too often we're talking about oppression. Too often we're talking about discrimination. Why is it important, do you think, to talk about privilege when we have discussions about anti-discrimination legislation, for example? Oh, it's important in so many ways. Um, like I said earlier, we we carry our identities with us in everything we do. So whether lawmakers creating human rights statutes or practitioners or investigators or folks resolving complaints, advocates, whatever role you're playing in the broader system, you're, you're bringing your identity. 
and and approaching your work through through the lenses that that you have and i think it's just so important that we that we pay attention to the presence of identity and the privilege that each of us carry i mean personally i i'm a, a gay man i've experienced discrimination based on my sexual orientation and uh that, that's given me a, a sense of the importance of human rights from a personal perspective but i've also i, I benefit tremendously from my privilege as being non-disabled mm-hmm. as being a, a, a white man and um, so many other forms of privilege that have given me access to opportunities that just aren't as accessible to so many others. And as I find myself in um, positions like this, where I have opportunity for impact and platforms to be heard, um, I need to be ever mindful of, of what my identity is and, and to use that, to use not only my privilege as a, a platform, but also my lived experience as, um, as learning and, and never lose sight of that. So I, I think it's important that we all do that, that we center our own identities and use our own power and privilege to, to the benefit of, of others. In a few minutes, we'll take a break. And after that break, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what you're hoping to accomplish in your term as the CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission, especially for people with disabilities. But before we take that break, let me ask you the inevitable question about taking the reins during a global pandemic and whether uh, and to what extent COVID-19 has changed, uh, how you're working, what you're working on, and where you're hoping to go um, you know, has the pandemic been a game changer in Nova Scotia? Because a lot of people say you've you've had a relatively good run of things compared to, let's say, a place like Ontario. We've been very fortunate throughout mm. the uh, most of the duration of the pandemic to have had fairly low case numbers and um, a, a good strategy for protection against the virus that that folks are are heeding. We are in recent weeks seeing a spike and um, hopefully that that is something that, that's not going to last in, in, in the longer term but the the fact of the pandemic and the move to online education and people working remotely the loss of employment um, increased barriers to service it, it has really brought the inequities in, um, in, in society into the light of day. And so we know that equity-seeking communities have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 virus, so d- direct impact there, but also those indirect impacts that for folks who've been maybe in precarious employment situations are now without employment and so many other impacts. So, so the, um, the impacts of the pandemic has, has shown some of those inequities in a, in a more clear light. And it, uh, we have seen that at the commission. We have received an increase in complaints of discrimination. And in many circumstances, they can be tied back, whether directly or indirectly, to pandemic-related impacts. 
And one of those implications is around mental health. I think the, the pandemic is impacting the mental health of many, if not all of us. And for someone with a, a prior mental health problem or a mental illness, it can be just such an exacerbating factor. And, and for anyone uh, with a disability, whether physical or sensory or mental, it's if, if you're experiencing regular barriers, like regularly in your daily life, barriers to accessing whether physical spaces or information or services or whatever the case may be, the pandemic has created another layer of barriers around restricted movement and requirements for masking and closed businesses and all of those things. And so there has been an exacerbating impact, I think, on equity-seeking communities, including persons with disabilities. I'm Joetha Gupta, and with me is Joseph Fraser, who is the CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission. I didn't realize that we've only got about 10 minutes left, and I still haven't asked you the biggest question, which is how you hope to shape the commission over the duration of your term as a commissioner and as CEO. What are you hoping to accomplish? The Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission receives about 2,700 inquiries every year, Mm -hmm. and they... Um, come in a range of different topics. But the single most prevalent topic that we receive inquiries on is um, discrimination based on disability, both physical and mental disability, with a, a bit more emphasis on, on physical, but, uh, but both certainly are very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Behind disability, and the, the second most prevalent type of inquiry that we receive and the fastest growing is related to racial discrimination. And not far behind that is discrimination based on gender or sex, including sexual harassment. So if we're looking at the numbers and wanting to make the biggest impact we can, those are the areas of focus. And so those are the areas that are will be my primary focuses. So accessibility and and issues related to disability, including accommodation, that's one. The second is racial discrimination. And the third being gender discrimination and sexual harassment. So we are fortunate in Nova Scotia that there is really great work happening on all three of those fronts presently. So we have organizations in the community sector, we have post-secondary organizations, some public sector departments and private sector companies that are all leaning into these these three big issues. And so the commission's role is to be a partner and a collaborator and supporter in that work, and also to be a catalyst for more of that work to happen, to play a leading and coordinating role in, in all of that. And how we do that I think this is work that we, none of us can do alone. It's always better together, better with partners. So we will be focusing on maintaining strengthened relationships with our partners outside of the commission, but also strengthening our our own capacity inside the commission, focusing on learning and development for our staff, making sure that we're operating at a full staffing complement, and also looking at our processes to make sure that 
the services that we are providing are as accessible and as responsive and as efficient as they can be. Uh, as someone with a background in human rights law and now in your capacity as CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission, um, this, I hope, is not an unfair question to ask, but I am curious about what you perceive to be the limits of human rights law. I mean, there are people who have done some significant work uh, offering critiques of the human rights model. You know, if you're a trans immigrant a woman with a disability, then no single category can fully explain your lived experience. That's a common criticism. Sometimes people say that legal reforms don't go far enough and that people um, spend a lot of time seeking legal reforms, whereas equity-seeking communities should really be focused on dismantling systems of oppression. I'm not going to ask you to address the critiques per se, but I am curious if, as someone with an investment in the system, if you perceive any inherent limitations that may nevertheless guide your approach. One of the limitations that uh, we've, we've been talking a fair amount about in Nova Scotia, both mm. within the commission and, and public discourse, is the notion of time limitations for making a complaint to the commission. We know that the experience of discrimination oftentimes causes trauma and that trauma can manifest in so many different ways and can often have a, a real negative impact on someone's ability to make a complaint within a particular time frame. So our mm -hmm. legislation does provide a 12-month limitation period for making a complaint and we do at times have complaints that don't make that that 12-month threshold and we know that there are some really important reasons for individuals why that might not be the case and so that's one one thing that is embedded in our statute it's there for important reasons you know it uh, the longer it takes to file a complaint complaint, the harder it is to conduct a good investigation and substantiate claims. And so we want to be balancing that. But we are hearing uh, with increasing frequency and, and strength that that 12-month limitation period is a barrier uh, for, for a number of members of equity-seeking communities to access justice. The other access to justice issue, and I just have a few minutes to address it, but I'll leave that as our last question. The other access to justice issue is just having access to legal representation. A lot of Canadians, especially from low-income communities, uh, self-represent, and that can also pose some barriers because people just don't understand what to do or what's going on. Do you have plans to address the uh, the inequity in access to, to justice and access to legal representation? Over time, as legal representation has been uh, become a bigger part of tribunal processes, it, it's really brought a higher level of sophistication to the procedure, and uh, that's increased time. Uh, that uh, the time that it takes for a complaint to wind its way through a process, and it's also increased the uh, complexity that a complainant who in many cases is self-represented, the, the complexity of the process and, and legal questions that, that they need to deal with. And so it, it's become um, an increasingly 
important issue. It's one that we are thinking a lot about. And, um, you know, uh, if there was a way that we could provide greater supports, whether inside or outside the commission, for supports for self-represented parties, I think would, would be an important place to, to put a focus. Well, I think we'll have to leave it here. But Joseph Fraser, thank you so much for speaking to us today. The time has truly flown by, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Joseph Fraser is the CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission. He's been in his position for about a month, and we've reflected on some of Joseph's goals and ideas moving forward. If you live in Nova Scotia, of course, you can find the commission just by Googling their name. And if you have a complaint, you can put in a complaint. But it's always helpful for those of us who live in places other than Nova Scotia to find out about how other provinces are dealing with disability issues and human rights issues. If you missed any of my conversation with Joseph Fraser, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Joseph Fraser for being my guest on the program today. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. Paula Janine is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day.